Hello. Hello all. It will be all now because the video reading of this is not going ahead now. It's not going to plan. Not going to plan. So we've abandoned it. It's just a bit more technically problematic. And it's kind of easy just doing this. And I don't really think that you're gaining a lot by having me there looking at my confused face. It's not probably that entertaining really. So I thought probably just best to continue in podcast form. Um as always, if you want to donate, you can do at the Samaritans.org website. That's what I'm doing this for. And also just for a laugh, I guess. Although, I'm not sure how much of a laugh it is. Not sure. Oh, I'll tell you, it's been a bit of a weird old uh, week. But uh, I'm glad to be here. It's kind of a strangely soothing to just come back from a stressful day at work and just read so it's kind of fun in that way um i've been thinking about the old podcast anyway and i think i might continue with it in some form or other so if you're liking what you're hearing now then uh hold on to your seats because it's gonna get better it is literally gonna get better probably but um i said a while back it's something that i've wanted to do for a little while just not really had any ideas. Now I've got an idea. Um, kind of keen to give it a go, really. So I'll probably get through this first. Get this out of the way. That's the spirit in it. Get this out of the way. Anyway, hopefully the sounds is a bit better. I'm on a um, mic, different mic today, rather than just phone mic. But um, here we go. Chapter twenty nine. After my meeting with Mort, I felt oddly revitalised. Revitalised. There we go. Not going so well so far. And although I wasn't entirely sure about some of his advice, I was willing to give it a try. I think I've done this. Yeah, I've done this bit. Sorry, done that bit already. Need to make some notes really, don't I? Chapter 30. There we go. It took a while for Carl to settle into his new living situation. For a few days he felt like he was being a recluse, hidden away in a secret annex, but then he realised that as far as Jennifer was concerned, he was taking the time to write his novel, and so it was no wonder, and she left him to his own devices. Carl felt out of routine. He missed the sea, even though he could still see it as he sat in the study. He missed the sound of the, cra- the waves crashing against the sand and the chill in the air. It reminded reminded him that he was still alive, but he knew he had to do something. It was almost as if Jennifer was holding him accountable to the novel that he was barely even writing. Each afternoon, she would return home and knock on his door with a cup of tea and ask him how it was going. So far, he had made vague noises which Jennifer had took as her interrupting, and so she made her excuses and left him to it. In the end, Carl couldn't take it anymore and opened up the laptop that had been left for him and he began writing. He didn't quite know where to start. He felt it should have been about comedy, as if that was all he knew about and it might provide him with some sense of escapism. But he didn't know what comedy. 
Back when he was doing Roger, someone suggested that he write a Roger book, but he had shot the idea down. Roger didn't belong on the page. Similarly, Carl now felt that Roger belonged in the past. The moment he thought this, he also thought of the crash and, and began to feel sick and tried to shake the memory from his head, thinking about other comics he knew who had been on the circuit and the stories he had heard from them and about them, crazy tales of dying on stage or inadvertently offending people and having to run from the stage and being ushered out the back of the venue by the bouncers and told to drive as fast as they could away from the venue. The tall tales he'd heard about the guys and their sexual conquests and the things that these girls had done to them, but the tone didn't seem right. Then he thought of all the forgotten comedians, the ones that performed a couple of times and then just disappeared, or the ones he knew for years and then suddenly just appeared, or the ones who started families and fell in love with people, and the ones who had fallen out of love with the job, out of love with the job, and had decided to do something else. Then his mind turned to Rob, his friend Rob Matthews, who he had started out with a year before doing it, who had started out with the first year doing open mic spots, travelling around the country. Rob had moved out to Manchester. They had met, met once. They still met once in a while at the odd gig up north, but the meetings had become less frequent, and then eventually Carl forgot that he hadn't seen him. Then he slipped from his memory completely. He wondered about Rob and what happened. He opened the internet browser on the laptop and searched for Robin Matthews, Manchester, comedian. The list of results came up and Carl started to scroll through and came until he came to one. In remembrance of Rob Matthews, he opened the link and was shocked by the sight of the picture of his friend looking back at him. The article itself was brief. Long-standing comedian, long battle with cancer, married shortly before he died. Carl knew that he, Carl knew that the, his story had to be in honor of his friend, that it had to give him a, give him that life that Carl felt he deserved. Chapter thirty-one. Matt and Emmy are sat on the sofa in their in her house. Immy has carried all the bedding down from her room and created a nest for them to sit in as they eat jelly sweets and watch the TV. I feel very much like a ridiculous bird. No, you're an adorable chick waiting for his mummy to feed him. With that, Immy looms over Matt with a, hawk's, with a half-sucked strawberry lace swinging from her mouth, trying to lower it into his. He tries to catch it and as he does... She lets go and the lace falls into Matt's face and glasses. Yeah, thanks for that. You have to eat it, Matt. The hell I do. He peels the lace off his face and throws it back at Amy, who screams. At that moment, her phone goes off and she answers it. Hello? Hi, David. How are you? Long time no. What's the matter? Yes, of course. Just, just let me move. She gets up and mouths to Matt, I'll be back in a minute, and then she runs. She returns to the call as she runs up the stairs. Matt looks at the telly, then searches the remote control within his nest, and then begins to skip through the channels, looking at the pictures and listening to Amy's muffled voice. <laughs>
coming through the ceiling. It doesn't sound like a sexy call, Matt thinks, unless this David is one of those people who cries when they masturbate. <laughs> I don't know why I can hear him crying. There you go, it might be a guess. He half remembers a story another comic had told him on stage about them, about then they had, about when they had worked for the council. They received a call from someone who sounded very distressed to begin with, but it ended with the caller groaning, apologising, then hanging up. At least he apologised. A lot of perverts are very remorseless. This didn't sound like one of those calls. Amy returned shortly with an I'm trying to look sad face on. The one that people fall when they've heard something sad and they're trying to show sympathy but they don't really feel sad. The same face you pull when someone tells you that you broke a special plate or you lost a nice shoe and you had to walk home with one shoe. That was my uni friend David. He he just found out his grand died. I don't know why that's funny. It's uh it's a bit funny. He just found out his grand died. Matt shrugged and immediately tried to rectify his. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think it's the uh, it's the uh, broken plate thing, definitely. That that his nan died. Matt shrugged and then immediately tried to rectify his nonchalance by pulling the same sad face. Oh dear, that must be difficult. I think it was quite sudden. They were quite close. He asked if I was free to go to the funeral. It's next week. Did you Did you know her, did you? No, but, you know, David doesn't really have anyone there he can talk to. And I, and I was always that person. Fair enough. We should make a, a trip out of it, though. We can find a B&B. I'll only be gone in the afternoon, so you can drive us to the countryside and... Right, and then we can do something together on the Saturday. Yeah, okay, sounds good. So I kind of make the uh, stylistic choice not to say who's speaking. Thinking it was obvious, but I think it probably is. I need to probably do voices, though. I'm not doing voices, though. I refuse to. Right. Chapter 3. I'll try not to laugh as well, because I realise that's really ridiculous that I'm laughing at something that I've written, but... It just I've tickled myself really. I can't it can't be helped when, when that happens. And uh, I think that's something yeah, I've forgotten about the old uh, doing a sad face. I just remember that. Right, chapter thirty two. The following day Craig was relieved to be back at work. The events of the previous night had taken it out of him and he felt both physically and emotionally worn out. He had also discovered that Evan was quite draining. She seemed to be very enthusiastic and interested in him and his story and had lots of ideas and suggestions that she that she wanted his opinion on. He was already looking to his lunch with Laura. He knew that he would be able they would just be able to no as wrong as it. He knew he would just be able to relax in her company without having to speak much or offer too many options. At lunch, Craig and Leora walked to the sandwich shop. She ordered her usual cheese and pickle sandwich and Craig ordered his usual spam baguette and they sat there in the park to eat their lunch. You had any news in the car? Craig inquired. No. The police said that it, 
they have it on file, but there isn't much they can go on at the moment. My dad is going to get someone to fix the window, though, and give me the money to replace what was taken. But it's the principal. Although my friend's brother did say that they might have seen something, they were out last night and some flasher guy came up to them and tried to expose himself. Apparently a guy wearing all black and big leather flasher's coat. They were walking back from the shops, minding their own business, and this guy just ran up to them and tried to show him his bits. I mean, it's all a bit of a coincidence, isn't it? That's bollocks, Craig explained, but I exclaimed, almost spitting spam all over himself. That's all a load of bollocks. Leo looked at him as if he was trying to figure out, as if trying to figure out a crossword. How do you know? Craig panicked. Well, he began. I know this girl, Erin, who said she was almost robbed by a group of lads and then this figure wearing all black and leather trench coat came out from nowhere and chased them all off and stopped her from being robbed by the boys. Probably your friend's brother was one of them, probably ashamed, but she said the guy saved her, so... Well, it's weird either way. That's what I think. If he is a good guy, then maybe he should try and figure out who broke into my car and stole my stuff. Maybe he should, thought Craig. Okay, got something interesting going on here. Chapter 33. A chapter of... Um, using up words, clearly. Okay. Um, just remind you at this point that this was um, me trying to do a task writing over 1,200 words a day to complete a novel, which is unedited. That's why it's so bad. Just reminding you there. Just reminding you. Just saying. Right, chapter 33. It's another day in the office, and I've been stood photocopying for a past hour. I'm feeling extremely frustrated today. I'm wishing I was anywhere but here. More than that, I'm wishing I was with my novel. I'm feeling the urge to create, but I can't because I've just been made to photocopy today. The sound of the photocopying machine is like a mantra, and after a while, I almost hear it saying, this is all of me, 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 as if taunting me, this is all of me, this is all of me, this is all of me. I'm skipping through a lot of the this is all of me's. Um, as if doing a cruel impression, this is all of me, this is all of me, this is all of me. Um, this is all of me. And then I snap. I grab the industrial hole punch and slam it into the glass of the photocopier, and it shatters into a thousands of shards. And then I grab the lid of the photocopier, and I start slamming it down again and again and again, like an eastern thug slamming the boot of a car down on the head of someone who's lost their stash of drugs. And as I continue to slam, the hinges begin to break, and on the final slam down, the lid falls off the top of the machine. And so I start kicking it. My land manager by this point has come out of his office and is shouting at me to stop. So I turn and push him, and he falls back into a bank of desks, scattering cups of tea and paperwork. He is lying on his fat back, flailing like a giant baby so I start to throw boxes of paper clips and pins and pens at him and he shields his face pathetically and cries out with frustration 
but he cannot solve right his body and 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 put an end to the tar- to my tirade of stationery. Next I pick up a plant pot and hurl it at him and it explodes in his face like a saw grenade. Bits of dead leaf and compost stick to his lips and he tries to spit them away between his strange cries but then he appears to lose energy and gives in and so finally I wrestle off one of his and so finally I wrestle off one of his shoes and then throw it out the window and he just lies there like a dead pig. Meanwhile all the women in the office have been looking on shocked what are you doing well what what are you looking at you shrieking cardigan hags i hiss and then just scream at them several of them turning white with fear i walk back to my desk gather my bag and my jacket and then topple my computer monitor onto the floor and then stamp on it like a child stomping on a nest of ants and then i storm out of the office as I go, I pass my neighbouring colleague Roger and punch him in the air. Then I grab his hair and scream into his face. <laughs> oh dear. And scream into his face. Admit it. Admit it that you'd like helicopters, you helicopter whore. All right, I do, he concedes. Then falls to his knees and begins to cry and rock. I really do like helicopters. I knew it, I say. Spit on him, then walk out the office for the final time. Then I snap out of the daydream, and the photocopier continues at me. This is all of me. This is all of me. This is all of me. And so on. I feel like I want to do all those things, but I don't. Instead, I turn around, walk back to my desk and gather my belongings. Go to the store cupboard and pick up up a box of printed paper and a box of pens, then I walk out of the office. No one even notices. So, this is one I kind of remember, and it was kind of autobiographical, and has a strange resonance now, but it's funny to read back. I think I must have written something about this before. Um, So I started this novel when I just started a new job, which I liked at the beginning. It's a bit stressful at the moment, but I still kind of like it, if I'm honest. <sighs> On the good days, but the previous job was awful. Um, so, um, I, I remember writing bits about this, and as it went back with the Roger thing, who was based on an actual guy who said he didn't like helicopters, despite talking at length about them. He was mentioned briefly as well. Um, so... And can I enjoy that aspect? Um, the This Is All Of Me stuff is based on a poem that I wrote. It's a concrete poem, which is in my first book of poetry, Inertia, the film poetry sequence, which is available from all good bookshops, mainly Amazon. But you can buy it. It's in paperback and Kindle, and it's got a soundtrack to it as well. Um, I don't think it probably works so well in this, the text it just looks a bit like mad but it's kind of this is the inventive this is the experimental side of the novel coming through now um so plane doesn't really work but there you go i enjoyed the uh the uh smashing up the office thing i could do that now to be fair but less so right 
chapter 34. Erin texts Craig inviting him to come to dinner at her house with her and her dad. It won't be anything fancy, Erin told him, and so Matt had agreed. It was still light as Craig cycled to Erin's house, and the estate looked different, but after a few diversions and wrong turns, he recognised the street and locked his bike up and leant it against the wall by her front door. He knocked, and Erin's dad answered the door. Hello, Craig. Come in, son. Make yourself at home. Erin isn't back yet, but... That will give us a chance to have a bit of a chinwag. Erin's dad walked Craig into the same room as the previous night and gave Craig a seat and then sat down himself whilst at the same time placing a pack of lager on the table. Don't be so shy, son. Help yourself. Craig unhitched one of the cans and opened it and took a small sip and then nodded to Erin's dad. So, Craig, you fancy yourself as one of these superheroes that they have now, do you? What do you call yourself? Craig was a little shocked at the suddenness of the question, and then almost in a whisper said, Night Dog. Or Night Dog. Erin's dad threw his head back and mauled his face with his hands. No, Craig, no, no, no. That will not do. At that moment, Craig heard the door open and Erin's voice called through and he felt as if he'd been rescued. But, but then Erin's dad called out, Come on in, love. We're just choosing a name for Craig here. Again, I don't know why it's northern. This will be even more questionable at the end. But there you go. Erin bounded in and smiled at Craig and then her dad. Erin, <clears throat> I don't really want to do this. He began, but she cut him off. Don't worry, my dad is writing a novel. He's really good with characters and names. Oh, uh, what's your novel about, Mr. Craig Stark? But then Erin's dad once again butt in. Never you mind about that, okay? Erin's dad began, each time looking for Craig. Oh, Erin's dad began, each time looking for Craig's response. Each time the bi- that being a shake of the head. The Black Swan, The Dagger, Pistol Pete, The Eagle, The the Nightmare, Spider Boy, The Tarantula, The Dark One, Super Lad, The Claw, Black Satin. Again, this is me, really. I don't know what's going on here. I must have been trying to really get the word count up. I must have been really struggling. (laughs) Oh, I just seen ahead. Okay, again, just me amusing myself, sorry. The Dark Hound, The Light Hound, The Grey Hound, The Hound. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I find that so funny. The Edge, that's uh, the guitarist from U2. Dangerous Nick, The Kid, The Fabulous Boy, The Black Knight, The (laughs) What? The White Knight. <laughs> oh dear, I don't know why, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Black Knight, the White Knight, the Golden Hind, the Red, the Red Lion, the White Lion, the Black Lion, uh, the Black Lion. So we just come through pubs there. I like the journey that uh, Aaron's dad is taking with these names. I must say, 
the angry lion, the demon, the guardian, the night guard, sparrow hand, dragon claw, venom, chlorine, the silence, the silent wolf, the the goat boy, the silent jackal. I think maybe it's time to eat, said Erin. I think that's a good call. Right. Um, oh, that's a long one there. I think we'll kill it, call it there, I think. But I may be back shortly for a double parter. We'll see. Um, I'm going to go and collect the shopping. Click and collect. I'm always sat for a bit, so I thought I might take the book up and do a bit of mobile car podcasting. And then you can also hear me collecting shopping as well which is pretty good there's nothing better than that eh really fits with the theme of the book I feel but there you go Um, thanks for tuning in now and I'll speak to you in a bit bye bye